welcome to the Enlorm podcast series, a series that focuses exclusively on patients now referred to as having nanorare mutations. I'm Stan Crook, and I'm the founder, chairman, and CEO of Enlorm. Enlorm is a nonprofit foundation that I initiated in January of 2020. Our mission at Enlorm is to take advantage of the technology we created at Ionis Pharmaceuticals, Anisense Technology, or ASO Technology, to discover, develop, and provide experimental ASO treatments to nanorail patients, and to do that for free for life. In our last couple of chats, we've been focused on the cardiovascular system, and we've discussed the material that flows through the pipes in the cardiovascular system. Of course, that's blood. And we've covered the heart, the pump. In this podcast, we plan to discuss the pipes. As I mentioned, when we began the cardiovascular system, the cardiovascular system has two sorts of pipes. One set is called the arterial system. The other set is the venous systems. Arteries and veins differ very dramatically because they have very different functions. So let's begin with the arteries. Of course, I know that you know a good bit about what we'll be talking about, but let's begin at the beginning. Most of the arteries in the body are responsible for managing blood flow under high pressure. They are arteries that deliver blood from the left side of the heart to all of the peripheral tissues except the lung. As you know, if your blood pressure is reasonably normal, you have a systolic pressure of 120 to 140 millimeters of mercury and a diastolic pressure of around 80 to 90 millimeters of mercury. Remember that systolic refers to the period of time when the left side of the heart is contracting, expelling blood at high pressure into the arteries. Diastolic refers to the period of time during which the left ventricle is filling and getting ready for the next contraction. So you can see that even during diastole, the pressure in the arteries is pretty high, 80 to 90 millimeters of mercury. So the arteries must deal with blood flowing at a high pressure essentially all the time. I'm sure a moment's thought will convince you that the arterial system has to be very muscular because of the walls of the arteries must be strong enough to withstand extremely high pressure and very rapid blood flow. In fact, in some forms of high blood pressure or hypertension, blood pressure during systole can be as high as 300 millimeters of mercury. If you can imagine how much force it must take for the major arteries of the body to contract and keep that blood in the artery at 300 millimeters of mercury. You can imagine how muscular they must be. On the other hand, arteries also have to be very elastic because blood pressure can vary from very low to very high, even in normal human beings. If you were lying down and suddenly stood up, your blood pressure would shift dramatically, as would your heart rate. And, your, and all of your arteries have to be elastic enough to withstand those changes in, in pressure. So key point number one, the peripheral arter arterial system is a high pressure, high flow system of pipes. Key point number two, to manage blood flow at high pressure and at high flow rates, arteries are very muscular. And key point number three, arteries must also be highly elastic so that they can expand, contract uh, as needed 
to, to manage the changes in what you do every minute of every day. Okay, what about the structure of arteries? Well, the inside of an artery is called the endothelium. And we, we know that the arteries are going to be very muscular. Your arteries have to be made of muscle fibers. And to accomplish being very elastic, uh, the space between muscle fiber cells is made up of collagen and other very elastic materials. So if you were to cut an artery open and look at it under a microscope, you would, you would see an internal lining that is very thin typically, a single or just a very few cells thick, and that's called the endothelium. The endothelium is the surface over which blood flows. Of course, in an ideal situation, the pipe is smooth so that the liquid, in this case blood, flows smoothly. So one of the jobs of the endothelium is to make sure that blood has a nice smooth surface to flow over. But you already know that cells wear out and they die. And so the endothelium is constantly being replaced by new cells. In addition, there are other cells in endothelial surface that are designed to sense issues or problems. Some of these cells can identify foreign material or other problems of an inflammatory response to protect the artery and you from substances or organisms that could do harm. And of course, you know that cells involved with inflammatory processes are things like lymphocytes, macrophages, and the like. Many of these cells flow in blood, and if there is area in the surface of the artery that has a problem, these circulating cells pause or stop at that site to address the problem. Other cells involved in the inflammatory process are residents in the arteries themselves. So you have endothelial cells, you have cells that live in the endothelium, and those are resident cells that do very specific jobs. And you also have inflammatory cells that flow in blood that are designed to recognize if the particular site in the artery has a problem and pause, stop and take over some of the work at that site, whatever the problem is. Other cells then can also participate in all this, but for the moment, just reflect on the fact that you have a smooth endothelium made up of endothelial cells and other cells that are designed to do various other things in case you need them. And that some cells that flow in blood are designed to pause or stop and take up residence at a, at a site uh, again, to engage in whatever is necessary to make sure the artery is performing well and protected. Remember that plaques in your arteries are called atherosclerosis. One of the most common problems in the developed world, and a cause of many millions of deaths every year, is atherosclerosis. Another job that is a joint effort between blood and the endothelium of blood vessels is to keep you from bleeding to death. You'll recall that I described all the clotting factors that are made in the liver and present in blood and ready to go to work should a tear in one of the blood vessels occur. That said, the partners in the process in the blood vessel itself are cells in the blood vessel. And so resident cells in the endothelium also recognizes, recognize a rip or a tear in the lining of the blood vessels and help initiate the clotting process as well. So once again, you have 
much more complicated pipes than what you might think of in your plumbing system in the house. They're active participants with the materials that flow through the pipe, that is the blood cells of various types, to make sure um, that you stay healthy and that your blood vessels don't leak and that your blood vessels are responding to noxious stimuli or infectious organisms that might cause problems. Now, you know when you cut your skin, you go through a clotting process that ends up forming a scab or sometimes a visible scar. The exact same thing happens in blood vessels. And what does that do then? Well, of course, it makes the surface of the blood vessel no longer smooth, which can increase local turbulence and that can cause inflammation, which can lead to even more atherosclerosis. So once you have a scar or a plaque or a local area of disrupted smoothness, then you have a site that is set to get worse over time and then produce problems like atherosclerosis. So key point four, the lining or endothelium of arteries is designed to keep the arterial wall smooth so that blood flows evenly. And it's really important, especially at high pressure, that your blood flows very smoothly. And key point number five, the endothelium is, is an active part of the organ uh, with new cells being made all the time and resident cells involved in, in, in inflammation and clotting that work in concert with cells and clotting factors that flow in the blood. Chronic inflammation, and this is key point number six, can be caused by many factors, but when it happens, it can lead to atherosclerosis, which is one of the great killers of modern man. Okay, so that's the endothelium. That's the lining that blood flows over. So now let's go back to the microscopic section of an artery. Once again, we're beginning on the inside, working our way to the outer lining of the artery. Once you're through the endothelium, and remember that's very thin, very smooth, or at least it's supposed to be, the next group of cells you encounter are smooth muscle cells. Smooth muscle cells are muscle cells, but they are really quite different from skeletal muscle cells in the way they're built, their architecture, and also how they're innervated, the kind of nerves that control them. The nerves that manage skeletal muscles are motor nerves, and you control them. The nerves that manage smooth muscles, organs like blood vessels, the gut, and the like, are managed by what's called autonomic nerves. Remember, we discussed these earlier. Autonomic nerves come in two flavors, adrenergic and cholinergic. For our purposes, you can think of adrenergic nerves as causing contraction of smooth muscles uh, and arteries. Of course, contraction means the blood vessel constricts and that raises blood pressure. Cholinergic nerves cause the opposite effect. They cause smooth muscle to relax, yin-yang. Every second of every day of your life, these two sets of nerves are helping you adjust your blood pressure, your heart rate, managing and managing all the different activities that you engage in and it's done without your ever having to think about it and that's why they're called autonomic nerves they take care of your life for you 
without your having to actively participate in that process. Very different from skeletal muscles. If you want to move your arm, you have to think about it. If you want to move your toe, you have to think about it. Not so with blood vessels, your gut, and so on. They're managed for you. Don't forget, adrenergic nerves secrete norepinephrine or noradrenaline, or what you think of as adrenaline, and cholinergic nerves secrete acetylcholine. Now, when atherosclerosis has progressed, not only is the endothelium destroyed by the plaques, but so is the smooth muscle. When that happens, the risk of a tear in one of your major arteries becomes much higher. Such an event is called an aneurysm. And the most common artery to rip apart is the largest and most muscular artery that does the most work, the descending aorta. When that happens, that's a life and death surgical emergency. But aneurysms can happen anywhere in any vessel, including small blood vessels in your brain. And of course, when people have an aneurysm in their brain, that's another piece of really bad news. When you go to the cardiologist for the first time, if he's very thorough, he'll look in your eyes and with that little doodad that he uses that shines the light in them. And, and when he does that, He's looking at the blood vessels in the retina, and often he or she can see evidence of atherosclerosis in those blood vessels. And the point is that atherosclerosis can go on in all of your arteries and all your arterioles, including all the little ones, all the big ones, and even the ones that, that provide blood to your retina. We've now dealt with the endothelium, and we know how important that is. We've dealt with the smooth muscle, and we know that the smooth muscle is a little different from skeletal muscle in its architecture, and it's certainly very different in the way it's managed. It's managed automatically without your having to think about it by these two arms of the autonomic nervous system, adrenergic and cholinergic nerves. And we also have learned that when atherosclerosis is bad, not only does it disrupt the lumen of the blood vessel, make it rough and make it difficult, but it can invade the smooth muscle, and that can lead to tears in your big arteries or your little ones, and those are called aneurysms. Which now brings us to the outer lining of the heart, and that's the epithelium. So after you, if you were to go back to the microscope, and we work from the inside out, it's endothelium, smooth muscle, epithelium. After the smooth muscle, then, this final layer of the artery, epithelium, is just the outside layer of the blood vessel. And like the endothelium, it's made up of multiple types of cells that constantly replicate and make sure that the lining is intact and strong enough to withstand the pressure that's transferred to it from the muscle. If we then move from big arteries to small ones, we can get to arterioles and capillaries. Arteries are arborized like trees, and the branches get tinier and tinier, and as they become tinier, they get little, they get thinner, and, and we call those tiny, thin arteries arterioles. Arterioles basically are a cell layer or two thick, and they are designed to supply oxygen and nutrients to tissues and then collect carbon dioxide and other waste. So they're very thin for a reason. They're there to transfer nutrients and oxygen and carbon dioxide and waste 
across into the blood vessels. And by the way, arterioles then uh, can form capillaries, and capillaries are just even tinier, and that's where most of your nutrient and oxygen and whatnot flow goes on. And then now we're moving to the veins. The veins are very different from arteries uh, because they move blood at low pressure and slow flow, and they do that to get the blood back to the heart. Remember that the pressure on the venous side of the cardiovascular system is only five to eight millimeters of mercury. So if you think about it for just a minute, in systole, the vein is at five millimeters of mercury and the artery is at 120 millimeters of mercury. That's an enormous difference. And so blood flows um, in veins up from the legs, for example, through a process called peristalsis. Peristalsis is when smooth muscle moves in a certain direction, sort of ripples, like you're squeezing a, a hose or like you watch a, a snake eat a mouse or something. And that peristalsis is the same thing that goes on in your gut and goes on in your bladder and all that. Blood vessels, gut, and other internal organs like that all engage in this process called peristalsis. Movement with a direction by a sort of wave of contraction that moves up and down the organ. Since the veins are managing a low pressure, low flow system, the smooth muscle layer of veins is pretty small. But in the larger veins, like the vena cava, the muscular layer is a bit bigger. Naturally, since flow is slow in veins, it is rare that there's a problem with veins ripping because they have atherosclerosis. Rather, the more common problem is that blood may pool, and then that can lead to a clot. And that's why when you are on a long plane ride, doctors advise you to get up and walk or at least flex your and relax your legs. Deep vein clots are potentially very dangerous because the clot may break off and go to the lungs or the brain or the heart and cause serious problems. Of course, veins also can sense whether there's been an externally caused rip in a vein and a clot to stop the bleeding is required and generated. And veins use the same system that's used in the arteries to clot. When you take blood thinners or anticoagulants, they don't thin the blood. Rather, they prevent clotting in some way. Your blood on a blood thinner is exactly the same viscosity as it is without the blood thinner. With no, someone had not invented that term. They just mean that you no longer clot as well as you used to. The reason you take them is to avoid clots that form in your veins or perhaps your heart uh, that could cause problems. But because they are not the greatest of drugs, meaning their therapeutic index is not particularly good. When you take them, you often have nosebleeds and bruising that drives you crazy. Okay, so now what about pulmonary arteries and veins? You remember that the pressure on the pulmonary side of the vascular system is about the same as the pressure in the veins, say five to 15 millimeters of mercury. So pulmonary arteries are not nearly as muscular as say the aorta. And they divide into tiny arterioles that just as would happen in the peripheral tissues. The architecture of the lung is extremely important, as I mentioned. Each little air sac or alveola must have a little capillary. 
the air sacs are just bronchioles and so on that are breaking up and arborizing as you go deeper into the lung, forming these things that look like little grape clusters like you might see in Napa Valley. And for each one of those little grapes, there is a little tiny capillary that goes with it. And so each alveola or air sac has a capillary associated with it. The reason you have such pain and are at risk of dying from a pulmonary embolus is that it disrupts the balance between the alveoli, the air sacs, and the capillaries. And that produces then extreme lung dysfunction. On the other hand, let's say you're a smoker and you had lung cancer and you had to have one of your lungs removed. You can manage that just fine because the surgeon takes not just the air sacs, he also takes the blood vessels with it. So again, architecture matters, and in the lung, that architecture is a capillary for every air sac, a capillary for every alveola. Now, pulmonary veins collect the oxygenated blood from the lung and deliver it back to the left heart. Pulmonary veins are just like veins in every other peripheral tissue, uh, except that they eventually drain into the left atrium, providing this oxygenated blood for the left ventricle to pump all the peripheral tissues. So key point number seven, systemic arteries are highly muscular and elastic, and they eventually divide into arterioles and capillaries. Veins, because they manage low pressure, have much less muscle than arteries. Key point number eight, the pulmonary vascular system manages blood flow at about the same pressure as the veins. And so it's very different from the systemic vascular system. So in conclusion, uh, now you know all about the pump, the heart. You know the, about the fluid that the pump delivers, that's the blood, and the pipes that the blood goes through. You also understand that the pipes in your body are much more complex and much more interactive with the material that flows through them than, say, the pipes in your plumbing system in your house. The pipes in your body are active participants and engaged with the blood that flows through them to manage things like rip in your blood vessels and inflammation and responses to infectious organisms and the like. In the next podcast, we'll deal with the spigot, the kidney, how you get rid of water-soluble waste. And once you know that, then you can go be a cardiologist and make a lot of money. And Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorem as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorem comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorem.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at enlorem.org. Search Enlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. 
Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.